Are you looking for the best tips and tricks to run a successful dental practice? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bulletproof Dental Practice, interviewing some of today's most successful dentists with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. All right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Bolden. We are coming at you live with video for the first time ever for one of my favorite guests it will be of all time on, on the show, Dr. Chris Ramsey. We have Dr. Craig Spodak as well on. Craig, give the give the fans an adoring wave. <laughs> Let one of these. <laughs> twist and turn. Twist and turn. Um, Chris, I have to say that you, uh, you know, if people don't know who you are, I don't know, you've probably graced many magazine covers. I don't know if you've graced any at all, but I feel like you're just, you're prominent in dentistry and you have been, in my mind, ever since my inception into dentistry and you really were one of my younger mentors way back when, whether you knew that or not. Oh, um, thanks, man. Coming on the scenes back in the days of, uh, you know, what was it, Pack Live and, you know, Gen X and stuff yeah. like that. And I just remember everyone being like, man, you got to meet Ramsey. You guys would get along. And then sure enough, I met you and I was like, dude, this guy, dentists are cool. Wait, dentists are cool. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I've, it's been cool, you know, becoming friends with you and your partner, uh, Rob. You know, it's Ritter and Ramsey. Everyone knows of Ritter and Ramsey. And so it's been cool, you know, seeing you guys and hanging out with you guys and um, just kind of sharing sharing the growth and watching your growth along the way. Uh, oh, so thanks, thank, thank you for and, and recent. And the reason what prompted me to really have you talk to us is I think you speak to one of the most important messages in dentistry and it's something that's not clinical. And when I, when I was recently at Coachman's course in New York for the DSD thing, uh, um, as we were kind of talking before I hit record, that, uh, you know, I was glad to see you there because you were talking about, you know, the body language and the neurolinguistics. And, and there's just so much there with how that applies to dentistry. And I think that is truly the missing link. I'm actually having that kind of problem, not problem, but I'm actually having that with one of my associates now, you know, because they were never taught that, how to communicate with people on a granular level. Right, you know, right. And so we talk so engineer-like, right? And so I won't steal your thunder, but anyway, man, I'm just I'm just super pumped to have you. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Listen, I, I, I knew you guys did this together, and you've had a lot of success with it. So the invite is uh, is a real honor. So thank you. Thank you both for having me, um, especially since your inaugural kickoff for videos. So. It is. It is the first yeah. one ever. What, what, what yeah, cool. All right. Hey, Chris, all right. Chris, yeah. I can say with an unblemished record of heterosexuality, you have a face for a uh, video here. You definitely okay. do. <laughs> We have a very teal background, brother. I think yeah, it's, it all, it's all working. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So, um, yeah, so listen, it's, it's great. You know, um, you know, I've got to know you guys personally, uh, you know, over the years and it's, it's been great, but to be here in this forum now is great because the one, the people that know me, that know me, um, from, you know, visiting their study groups and, and, and having certain stage podium time, uh, knew me for many years. So if you take the last decade, I've taken a decade and did like what a lot of guys do, clinical dentistry. The trend that I found, though, over time was I was getting emails, and the emails were changing over time. They were no longer, you know, what cement were you using or, you know, how did you cement those veneers or can you tell me about your protocol? Those went away, and those started to fade in. What became more important to people were how did you get so many people to say yes to orthodontics? How did you get so many people to say yes to implant dentistry? How did you get – your team to fire on all cylinders. That's really what people wanted to know. And for years, what a lot of people didn't know about me personally was like a huge hobby of mine was I read everything for over the last decade, everything on how our brain works, decision-making, 
everything on the art of influence, and then a ton of stuff on body language. And that started because I had friends uh, back in the day in dental school. I had a friend of mine worked for the FBI. And even in dental school, I was like really interested. And then I had my I have family in the military, and they would learn about you know uh, interviewing and and you know inter- interrogation, and it just was always interesting seeing how humans react both in normal situations and under stress. And so all of that, what happened was over time, actually it was my wife, who's a uh, periodontist up in northern Palm Beach County here, and uh, she was the one who actually said to me, you know, you should really start telling people what you're doing. And I was like, no, <laughs> I think dentists are going to think it's crazy. Like, you know, I was afraid that I would be showing people stuff and they'd be like, okay, we don't want to hear that, you know, because for some people, I've done some things live on stage and it's bothered some people. I had one guy write a review and he said, I think it's morally inappropriate that Chris Ramsey is able to crawl inside people's heads and, and manipulate their thoughts. I appreciate him. I appreciate him taking that to heart. That's not what I'm doing. But the reality was I wanted dentists to be able to come to something unique and say, you know what? I've had enough lectures on how far implants need to be apart. I realize Emax is 400 megapascals. I know what the latest and greatest embonding agents are. I've had enough of that. I don't want another occlusion lecture. What I want is for me to figure out how do I do more dentistry that I love? How do I stop doing the crap I hate and wake up and start doing the more dentistry I love and get more patients to say yes? And that's what's brought us, basically the three of us here today, is for me to kind of give an overview of what I do in a five-hour session or sometimes just an hour session if I've got to do a big stage and I'm there just as a guest speaker. Because really my passion now, clinical dentistry, listen, I'm looking at you two guys on my screen. I know you as people, but I do know you both as dentists. And whether anybody was listening to this podcast or no, I would hang up today and go, listen, those two guys, they know their crap. They know what they're doing. So you two are perfect examples. You don't need some guy like me on a stage telling you anything more about dentistry. You've had enough of that. So really what we want is to say, okay, you guys have got two amazing teams. Craig, you've got a lot of people that work for you, brother, a lot. So here, how do you manage that many people? But what I learned is it's not about the number. I used to work for Disney. When I worked for Disney at the time, they had 64,000 people working for them. They pull it off. How can we not pull it off if we have 12 or 50 or whatever? The reality is you've got to have a vision from the top, and it's got to work its way down. So I developed this program over a two-and-a-half-year period. Um, I finally got it put through with the uh, U.S. uh, government. It's called uh, MASTER. It's an acronym, M-A-S-T-E-R. Basically, it stands for Mindset, Addressing Choice, Storytelling, Training the Eye, which is actually the body language portion expectation and recognizing persuasion. That acronym is basically six modules that we go through in a given day. So the entire team has the opportunity to come and say, okay, I know nothing. We're a good team. We're doing well, but let's start from the ground up and let's just get moving. How do we think? Why do we do what we do? And then I spend a lot of time, which I hope I can do here today for the people that are listening to ask a lot of rhetorical questions. If anybody's ever been to my lecture, the one thing they'll know is I'm a very in-your-face kind of guy. So I get into the group, and I'll look at an office, and I'll say, so if I move to your town, why would someone choose your office? Don't tell me because you prep well. Don't tell me it's the, the doctor's a good golfer. I, I get all that. But the truth is, why would I choose you? Like, why would I come here? The same reason that you or me or anybody else, when we decide, hey, I'm going to go to an event, I'm going to stay at a really nice hotel, we choose hotels based on it. It's more than just a bed, a shower, and a toilet. There's something that we want when we say, I'm going to go here, and I can give you the rational reasons for it. I think too many dentists wake up every day and realize it's not good enough to just be another dentist on the street. How do you want your legacy to be? Do you want to practice 20, 25 years or even shorter and get burnt out because you realize 
I'm just another dentist here kind of grinding it out like everybody else. What makes me unique? And if you can't answer that, I want to be that guy at least a little bit to try to help you to do that. Man, Long that's... intro. Dude, Long that, intro. That is... Sorry. Everything you were saying, I was just totally resonating with, and I, I, this needs to be said on on so many forums. I'm yeah, I'm glad we're getting the distribution of that. Craig, anything to add on that? You guys no, are very similar in that you're both very, uh, you both have nailed it in terms. Of, I've watched you both clinically, I've watched you both personally, and you both have that that charisma that that people charisma that makes enrollment so easy for you. And some that comes harder for others. You're both extroverted, and I'm talking about yeah. Craig and Craig and you. Chris, um, you're both extroverted, but you know, a lot of dentists are introverted like myself. Um, and so it's harder to, it's harder to make those connections sometimes. So Chris, I'm, you know, it's, it's a, it's a service. What I'm trying to say is I'm glad you, that you're really offering this to people because I think it's a huge need, especially in our profession. Yeah. I think with Craig, I think when I, you know, the perception I always try to make sure people understand is if you're listening to this right now, you're driving in your car, you're watching this maybe, or whatever the case may be, wherever you are right now listening to this, you got to know there is no ultimate perfection. I mean, sometimes people have this perception that, oh man, Ritter and Ramsey, they got it going on. Listen, we have the same problems as you. I work four days a week, Monday through Thursday, just so everyone's clear that's listening to this. I'm a restorative dentist only. I only do restorative dentistry. That's not right or wrong. That's just what I do in my little space. So that means if someone needs ortho, I get them to the orthodontist and then get them back. Endo, out to the endodontist, get them back. Now, if you ask me in a perfect world, I truly believe the world is going more towards what Craig has already done. So I'm now trying to find my profession, trying to emulate more of what Craig has done, where Craig has done I believe, I don't want to speak for you, I'm going to let you maybe explain the the fact that he's got wonderful specialists that come in to his facility, do a great job. What I'm trying to get away from is I realize we're coming out with a lot of debt, a lot of young practitioners, and you want to do everything, but you will get burned out quickly. You know, you will get, I promise you, you're going to get burned out if you're trying to be everything to everybody. And you cannot be good at all the the disciplines in dentistry. It's master, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. I've never met anyone who's awesome at everything. Right, and you don't. And the problem is, where a lot of guys, I've seen this transition. They'll they'll hear that you can't be great at everything. So they continue to be, and then there's something that changes within dentists, both female and male, who say, "Well, I'm doing it good enough." And then they sat, and then that finds their comfort zone where they say, "Well, it's good enough." But the reality is, I don't want to be in anything where it's just good enough. If you think of anything in the world that you grab, okay, look at this, my iPhone. Right? What did Steve Jobs say when he decided to make this iPhone? He came out and said one thing. I'm going to come out with a phone, not just make a phone. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to develop a phone, but I am going to change, fundamentally change the telecom industry. That was a quoted thing. And they're like, what? With a phone, you're going to change the whole industry? He said, yeah, that's why AT&T was the only company who was on board. Because when he went to these companies and say, I'm going to make a phone, everyone's going to want it, you're going to play by my rules. All these other companies were like, no. And AT&T is like, yeah, we'll take it. Now look, everybody wants the iPhone. So the reality is he did change the telecom industry because everybody has one of these things. A couple of people have Samsung who want to catch on fire, but that's a whole other topic. You know, so uh, the reality is he – that. so for me, I say the same thing. I don't believe – and Craig, I know you're going to get a word in here. I apologize. But <laughs> no, I, I'm enjoying I, it, bro. Preach. I don't, I don't believe Craig. Knowing Craig, there is no – and knowing you, but we're just using him as an example because he's built this amazing thing. Um, I don't think Craig ever wakes up or anybody listening to this podcast would ever wake up every day, gets up every day, kind of stretches and goes, oh, God, I just woke up. I can't wait to be mediocre today. Woo! 
I am looking forward to half-assing it all day long. <laughs> of course not. We we need to come at our business the same way these under other industries do. You, everyone is trying to figure out how do you beat the iPhone. Well, you're probably not going to. Look when he came out with iTunes, changed the music industry. Yeah. We have an ability, the three of us amongst everyone else who's listening to this, to say, you know what? I realize it's been done this way for the last 50, 60, 70 years. But we are a generation of people who have an ability to make this profession not just great for us, but the people who are involved in it. And I want to get up every day and go to work and go, okay, you know what? I'm the best in the world at what I do. Now, what I just said, if you are driving, you may have hit the brakes and go, what is with this guy? How can he say he's the best in the world? Because you got to understand what that – there's a great book by Seth Godin called The Dip. And The Dip talks about – a point in your career, your life, wherever, where things you're putting in the most effort, but you're getting the least results. It's where you hit a wall. Relationship hit a dip. You either got to make a decision, bust through the wall or get divorced, right? It's where everyone took, uh, all of us took organic chemistry. Start out with a class of 100, you're down to 12, yep. right? Because those guys couldn't get bust through there. Because if you can get through the dip, you realize extraordinary benefits on the other side. Well, when we say things like, I get up every day and I go, I want to go to work today. I want to be the best in the world. But what does that mean? The world to me is only five square miles around my practice. That's all I care about. The best dentist could be in Shanghai, China. No one's going to Shanghai, China. And to be fair, people in my area, there may be a few, but most of my patients are not going to drive down to Craig's office and vice versa. They're not going to come all the way. They're going to be like, go to Jupiter? No, thank you. That's a, that's a million miles away in their brain. So what do I care about everyone else in the world? All I care about is I want to be the best in the world. And the world to me is Northern Palm Beach County. I want to crush the competition in Northern Palm Beach County, not because I believe I'm a better dentist, because I believe the system as a whole. Is is the Ritz better than the Four Seasons? I don't know. It's an opinion. But I can tell you all the services I get at each and then make my own decision based on that. So. Yeah, what you're, talk, what you're talking about is brand loyalty. And, you know, the, the people that adopted Mac early in the day, they put Mac stickers on their cars, and they were so proud to identify with Mac. And their what car. you're talking about is not not slipping into the sea of sameness. Like what you're, what you're speaking about, what, what's resonating with me is that you, you found the need to differentiate, that there's something about you that's not going to be, they're not going to be able to, val- to attribute that value the, with another office. But as far as, you know, as far as like what you said about the models, I think it's interesting that as dentists, we get together and we have conversations about what's the best model. I mean, I, I wonder if the restaurant industry, like the Chipotle guy talks to the Morton's guy and be like, oh, I wish I had a Morton's. Oh, I wish I had a Chipotle. Because Dentistry is a signature. It's our own specific value, what we want to express. And your practice is so specific to what you want. And, and, and likewise, mine is to, to what, I, what I desire. But I think there's space, and I don't believe in our careers. We're all about the same age. I don't believe that any one of us and all the disparate models we have are going to ever reach a point where we're going to have a problem. So I, I don't know if, if it's all going to what I'm doing. And the guys who are multi-specialty and, and jack-of-all-trades, they actually manage all their own dentistry under one roof. They do, a, they do a root canal that doesn't work, and they tell the patient, oh, I'm really sorry, you know, your, your tooth had an extra canal. That, 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 that never happens. But I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you half off your root canal and credit towards your implant, and then they do the implant, and that fails. Right. So they're managing their own. Um, their, their own, their own treatment com- completely within their own roof. And, and they don't really, they practice in a very limited area. They practice 
you know, in their, in their little office tucked away. They have nobody else looking at their stuff. And, and most dentists really enjoy that. They don't want other people looking at what they're doing or learning about what they're doing. They're not lecturing. They're not talking freely. They, they're kind of keeping it close to their chest. And I think they protect that because they're embarrassed or they're worried about what they're doing. So I think this yeah. is a very... You, you're very... I mean, I, th- I think you're right. I think it really comes down to ultimately what do you... You know, what do you... How does one define success? You know, some would say I need to make the most money possible. Some would say I want to find the balance between money and enjoying having a beautiful facility, whatever that case may be, however you define it. You know, truthfully for me, for me now at 48, one of the things that's more important ever now is actually peace of mind. It's amazing. I need peace of mind. I need to, you know, when someone asked me recently, they go, you know, you were married to a surgeon who does implants. What's, you know, and I said, you know, one of the luxuries to that. It's not because she's my wife. It happens to be that I happen to be married to a periodontist. Okay, that's fine. But collectively, as a specialist restorative, we have less than 1% failure rate. So I have a lot of peace in that, not referring to my wife, referring to a specialist who doesn't cause me any stress, who doesn't cause me stress at the chair when that implant's not quite straight because it's always straight. Working with my orthodontist uh, who's in my same building where we can – I can go – we can – docile back and forth between these cases. So I know everyone doesn't have these ideal situations and somebody may be listening to this right now and say, well, I don't have all that, but I still want to be happy. I think your key to happiness then is your niche just needs to be surrounding yourself with like-minded people who want to achieve the same thing. And it starts with you. What is that vision to understand? Ultimately, we feel good when our patients say yes to treatment. And that might be yes to just that single crown. You want to be busier just doing single units, but we need more people to say yes that's where I come in. That's where I come in and say, okay, you got to start understanding how people think, why they do what they do, the decisions that they make. The same way they decide on you is the same way they're going to decide the chemically in their brain why they buy a certain TV at Best Buy. You know, it's this, it's not that different. And humans are not that hard to figure out if you start to look for these major key factors when, when dealing with them verbally and non-verbally. Yeah, let's, let's dive into it because I, I do okay. want to see – I want to hear kind of your the, the practicality of your act, acronym and just go through it. I know we don't have time for you to like obviously deploy your course here. Right, but, right. But, you know, a 30,000-foot view and, and some pearls to kind of give to the listening audience about just – you know, when I was listening to you, like I said, in New York a couple of weeks ago, I mean I've known you, you know, my whole career. And like I was still blown away by just like the things that you were saying because it just was like, yes, this is – this is like right. this stuff works. Right, right. No, no, it, it is a lot of fun. So I'll hit some of the quick highlights here. So let's start with the let's start with the first thing. So the master program starts with the M. So right off the bat, we've got mindset. When I talk to groups, I try to have them understand. I want everyone to get on the same page, basically with with simple understandings. I think books like Blink from Malcolm Gladwell has a good idea of explaining certain things really well. Um, he gets into well, you know understanding conscious and unconscious. There is conscious, unconscious, and subconscious. To make it simple, I'll just use conscious and subconscious interchangeably so we have a general idea of what I'm talking about. You know, we start talking about your conscious brain. You're really only talking about 5 to 10%. All your memories, your habits, your feelings, your emotions, your behaviors, those are all subconscious and unconscious thought process. I try to explain to everybody when I'm talking to them. In regards to mindset, you got to think of your, your brain um, like a hard drive in a sense. But unlike your computer at home, your hard drive – has unlimited space, unlimited, meaning it's packing stuff in there from the moment you're born to the moment you pass. And what's interesting about that is it packs it in a way, just like your computer, in areas where you don't even know where it's at. Most of us don't know how our hard drive works. You don't know where that information is. You just know I I click here and it comes up on my screen. So that's how your brain works too. It's packed most of that stuff so deep that you can't get to it. 
and you don't know where it's coming from. But when you get into novel situations, you get what's called thin slicing. Your subconscious is taking little bits of information, tossing it forward, and then allowing you to make a conscious decision. And these things are happening really quick. I step out into the street, car honks, I jump right back. Because of all that information in my brain, it knows that's a car, that's a horn, it might hit me, I might die, so I jump back, and that takes fractions of a second. That's how most of us get through our day. Most of us are going through our day with this back and forth. Your brain is docile between conscious and subconscious. Most of it is to keep you safe. But we see this all the time. You meet somebody and right off the bat you go, wow, they're a little odd. Like instantly, that's all that information in your hard drive being pushed forward to tell your conscious, hey, something doesn't feel quite right here. So you got to always think your brain's working like a hard drive, flipping back and forth. Again, it's built to keep you safe, but it's mostly built so that you can get through the day and have little thin slices of information pushed forward. This is where you get the term snap judgment. A lot of times people will say, you know, I need you to make a quick decision right now. And they do it and you say, okay, why did you make that decision? They'll say, I don't know. I went with my gut. I went with my intuition. Uh, a great line was intuition is nothing more, nothing less than just recognition. Intuition is just all that information in your brain pushed forward to say, I'm going to choose this. So. If you understand that that's how it works for most people, you'll understand a lot of their decision-making process is the same. So I love to meet people and prime them a lot of times when I'm meeting them, not just jump into dentistry. In fact, if you guys don't mind, let's talk about something for a second. Okay. You guys do realize, and if money's driving right now just listening to this, I hope they hear the humor because they can't see me. You guys realize the dentistry experience, it's terrible. terrible. It's a terrible thing. Let me give yeah. you the analogy. A stranger walks into your office for the first time. They meet a bunch of people they don't know. They're taken back in, down some dark hallway to God knows where to sit in some strange chair to be leaned back, which in and of itself is a little weird, to then open up to have some stranger come in and make a list of everything that's wrong with you. Wow, that sounds like a great experience, right? So put that same analogy in dating. Imagine I meet a girl. Hey, I'm Chris Ramsey. How's it going? She's like, good. I'm like, hey, I know we just met. But before we go out on this date, real quickly. Um, your shoes are ugly. Uh, your hair is just God awful. And seriously, um, I think perfume would probably do yourself some good, but why don't we get going? I think we're gonna have a good time tonight. She'd be like, get the hell out of here. Right? So the truth of the matter is you think about dentistry, we meet people and all we do is tell them bad news. And then we call that a treatment plan. Oh, you have a crack on two mobility on three recession on four, you get a crown on 12, you know, and then then we give them a list and then we go to the front. And if you do this list, you're going to be a better person for it. Oh, give me a break. You know, I'm like, that's the experience. We try to make it a good experience by being the pleasantries and all that. But the truth of the matter is it's not a positive experience. You're coming there for me to tell you everything that's wrong with you. So I'm going to tell you guys something within the, within the confines of that master program. One of the points I get across right off the bat, rule of thumb from eight in the morning till five at night to the moment we close Everything is positive. Everything. Every conversation starts with a positive and ends with a positive. Everything has a positive spin. Everything. By definition, it is a show. Craig probably knows this. He's got 50-something employees he's got to manage. The reality is, no, I got to be honest. If I go to Craig's office and there's that many employees, I don't want to hear a single person telling me, talking to their friend about what they did this weekend. Because I got to be honest with you. I don't care. That's not what I'm paying for. If I go to a restaurant, I don't want you milling about talking. You're there to put on a show. If you pay all this money to go to New York to catch a show and the actors come out and they're just talking amongst themselves, you'd be like, what the hell is going on here? Right? You're like, why are they not putting on the show? 
If somebody came and said, well, he had a fight with his wife last last night, you'd be like, I don't care. I paid for tickets. Put on the show. <laughs> Go to Disney. You'll never find an employee not having a great day at Disney. Yet they're making like 10 bucks an hour. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Very poorly paid. Yeah, poorly paid, but they're very so happy paid. to be there. And when you ask them, it's not just, hey, what time is the 3 o'clock parade? They don't go, what? They go, oh, my God, it's at 3 o'clock. Let me show you the best place to sit. And if you sit <laughs> they go well above and beyond. So I've learned so much working for Disney, but the mindset part of it is everything has got to be positive. Start with a positive and end with a positive. And I think that right off the bat is probably the most important thing to understand in mindset. Uh, the second thing I'll tell you real quickly and we'll move on is we need to understand um, – when I explain the brain, I explain it as uh, – there's a thing called the triune brain the neocortex and this type of thing. But I also talk about the limbic part of the brain. The limbic part of the brain is also the part that controls fight, flight, or freeze syndromes, help keep you safe and all this. That's the part of the brain that controls what's called pacifying behaviors. If one of you two right now got scared and hair stood on the back of your neck, you can't control that. That's a passive, that's just something that's going to happen neurologically and you can't control that. That's what you're looking for when you're talking to people, when they start doing pacifying behaviors. Why guys, Touch their face here, rub their neck here, touch the top of their forehead here. Why women might play with their neck or rub their hair or touch their ear like this. Those type of things, if you ask somebody, do you remember doing that? They'd be like, no. Their, their limbic part of the brain gets them to do that, and it helps calm them down, release endorphins, calm them down. And these are the things that we as dentists can now see, oh, okay, I just handed Mrs. Jones a treatment plan. She just did a pacified behavior. There may be a money problem here, or there may be a situation where she's like, uh-oh, this is more than I thought. It just allows an environment or whatever it is, right? What like pain perfect. or longevity of like, how long is this going to take? Go over some of those more examples because I liked how you broke it down into men and men, women, because they, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, 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 I'll hit that with training the eye. I'll, I'll tell you. Okay. So the next, so that's master kind of give you an overview of the, of my, of, of mindset. The next one is addressing choice. I'll just give you the main point of addressing choice. There are many, um, there's a couple little things I think is important. When we talk about addressing choice, the first thing is dentists, we've got to stop overwhelming patients with too many options. We overwhelm them. All of you listening to this right now or watching it, if you've practiced more than three years, then you've had a patient who you've given a bunch of treatment plans to, and a year later you saw her, she didn't do anything. And you go, okay, what happened, Mrs. Jones? She goes, oh, you had me going here and there and see this specialist and this, and it was so overwhelming. I, 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 I didn't do anything. It's human nature. Right. So first of all, more choices is not better. That's the first thing. There's a magic number I talk about in my lecture, but I won't bore you with it now. But more is not not better. Um, what's important to understand with that is people want to have the concept of what we know as free will. They want to feel like the decisions are their own. When we talk about free will, the human brain wants this opportunity to make their own choice and the freedom and power that comes with that. Meaning, if I go see Craig as a patient, come to see you up in the outside of Atlanta area, I come to see you, I don't wanna feel like you're selling me and I don't wanna feel backed into a corner. I wanna be able to say, I'm gonna make the best decision for me, for me and my family, and it's gonna be my own decision. What's interesting in the lecture is I often show people, your decision is not as much of free will as you think it is. You're influenced by so much. And a lot of that influence is dialogue with me a lot of times, I'm already, putting things into your brain, but by the time you make the decision, and thousands of people have seen me do this, I can tell you what you're gonna pick, I can tell you where you're gonna sit, I've done so many stage shows where I go, hey, take a seat, and there's four seats, they sit down exactly where I want them to sit, they turn over the one card that I want them to turn over, which says implant as opposed to everything else. So there are ways to influence people, but yet have them still feel like 
that decision is my own. But we're influenced by all of that. Every ad on TV, every billboard, that's kind of a, you know, that's a choice is an important thing. Um, when I talk about choice, I'll also tell you guys, I talk about four things. Um, there's reduce the amount of options that you're doing, concretize, which means make it real. Can you guys see my hands on this video right now? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. If I go like this, when you're talking to a patient and you go, Mrs. Jones, you can do an implant or a crown, an implant or a bridge. If you do this with your hands and for people not watching, my hands are equally spaced. You're basically saying to them subconsciously, it's a 50, 50 option. Basically, when we're talking, we're just using our hands. You, go, you can do an implant, you can do a bridge, and they go, well, that's a 50-50 option. So instantly they go, which one's cheaper, right? Really, which is you could do an implant or a bridge. Let's be honest, the implant's a better option. So how we present it just in our body language when we're talking to them, they need to know our bodies bleed what we believe. So when I tell somebody, make no mistake about it, you have options here, but do not kid yourself. This implant is the best option. But that leads me to the last thing. How the order in which you tell people things is extremely important when it comes to choice. So when you're addressing choice, we learned in dental school or at the Panky Institute or Dawson, where I'm an alumni, you know, always tell them the best thing. But the truth is, what do humans do? If you tell me, hey, Chris, you have two or three options. As soon as you start talking to me, I'm not even listening. I'm already going, what's my next choice? What's my next choice? What's the next thing? Because we're humans. We're dying to know. So we reverse the order. And I've got science to prove this, studies I won't bother you with now that I showed during the lecture, which shows tell them the implant last. Because when they go home to think about it, that's the last thing they heard. They scientifically will remember the most about the last thing they heard. So I don't tell you the implant first. You're not even listening. You heard me say implant. You go, what's next? And now if I start talking about other things, you're already – you go home. You're like, okay, I don't remember what he really said about the implant. But I know what he said about the bridge because it was the last thing I heard. So sequence is important when addressing choice. That's the overview. Interesting. Am I talking I too fast? No, man. I don't know about you, Peter, but I am extremely conscious of my body language. Since you started talking, I'm like, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm like, <laughs> I really got to do. It. Like, am I pacifying myself? Am I curious? Yeah, it's I'm funny. We fascinated because I never think about this stuff. No, we I go to parties. You know, you guys all go to the dental, the same dental things I do. We end up at the events afterwards at a party, and people are like, dude, I can't stand around you. I don't want to be next to you, man. You're, I'm yeah. too self-conscious of what I'm doing, oh, you know? <laughs> You know, like they're like, I'm gonna touch my face. It doesn't mean anything. I have a small itch. Don't judge me. <laughs> literally, literally, I had an itch. I'm like, I don't want to touch it. It's, uh, it's gonna think yeah. I'm, uh, so, fascinating. My God, yeah, I can't believe that all this goes into your decision making. It's just wild to me. Yeah, I it's never, awesome. I, and never, I'm really like, I'm skipping over so many details, obviously, because of, of, of limited time. But so that's mindset addressing choice. The the third one is uh, storytelling. The thing about storytelling is I try to get everybody to understand. I approach storytelling as if I was getting ready for a TED Talk. If you've ever watched the TED Talks, and for people that don't know what I'm talking about, go to TED.com. They're the most amazing things to listen to. I watch them on Delta flights. I, I watch whenever I can. TED Talks are amazing because if you ever get an opportunity to do a TED Talk, they'll often talk to you about doing what's called a message map, which is basically just three steps. You know, Create a Twitter-friendly headline. What's that mean? 140 characters or less. So if you're going to get your point across to somebody, right off the bat, you want to be able to say something that they're going to simply understand. Mrs. Jones, I simply want to get that tooth out on the lower left and replace it with something that will feel as solid as a rock like it did when you were 18 years old. That's an easy statement. I could tweet that, and there's nothing technical about that, right? And so I think that's important. Um, that's, you know, that's one of the first steps of message mapping. When we get into other things about storytelling, uh, I think it's an important to understand things like I use a lot of Disney um, ideas because Disney has this one thing, that NH, and, and their thing is 
you know, take care of our people, our people take care of our customers, and our customers take care of our profits. During the lecture, I often change the word so people are looking on the screen, and I say, okay, take care of our team, our team members, right? Our team members will take care of our patients, and our patients will take care of our profits. This is the biggest take-home message I have for dentists. You've got to stand behind and develop an amazing team, and then you've got to back up that team. It is harder for me to replace an awesome employee than it is to get another 10 to 20 patients. So for me, have an amazing team, take care of that team. Those team take care of those customers. Those customers ultimately take care of your profits. Amen. I think that's really, really, really an important take home. But um, so then uh, as we get into storytelling, there was no better person at it better than um, Aristotle. And Aristotle had this uh, three-step process, which he would talk about ethos, logos, and pathos. Now, what's important to understand is you need all three of those ethos, pathos, logos in a conversation. Ethos is credibility achievements, titles, your, you know, your credentials. Logos is logics, data, statistics, and stuff like that. And then pathos is appealing to emotion. It's at this point in the lecture where I really start to drive home the same thing Christian Coachman is doing with his DSD stuff, his digital smile design. Everything's emotionally based. So you've already got this umbrella of keep everything positive. Everything is emotionally based. And throughout the rest of the day of the lecture, I hit on emotion dramatically. Same reason right now. When you guys go to buy a new car, What's the thing they ask you? Do you want to test drive this car? Because that is an emotional connection to get in the seat, put your favorite radio station on. People are looking at you while you're driving down the street. You're totally getting into it, and you go back, and you're willing to overpay for the car. So ethos, pathos, and logos are important, but not equally important. The least important, quite frankly, is credibility, achievements, titles. People don't come to Craig Spodak because uh, you know he's board certified, blah, 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 blah. They don't come for that. They come for so many other reasons. And so many times we think people come to us because I'm a prostodontist, because I'm board certified. They don't. They come because they go, I love it. It's a great environment. I feel good when I'm there. They're a well-run office, and I love what I get from them from a customer service standpoint. So we appeal to their motion. So the pathos is probably the most important element. If you right now feel like, wow, we have an office that we don't connect to people emotionally, as far as making them feel like it's amazing from the moment they call to the moment they leave, that's the part where we have to come in and try to help you as an office start to achieve that. And I literally mean from the moment you pick up the phone. And I have a lot of offices do that. And, you know, I ask them, how do you answer the phone? Doctor's office, please hold. We don't need that. We get enough of that from our positions. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so again, I know I'm talking fast, but um, it's – yeah, it's important. Storytelling is an amazing thing. So there is an art to it. And I think when your team members start to realize, okay, I want to keep everything positive. I want to make this emotionally based. I want to make sure that they understand that we're going to embrace them as a as a client, as a patient, and make this experience wonderful. And how we talk to them is sometimes we just get too technical and too crazy wrapped up in things that we know people really don't want to hear. But we do need to be able to be able to communicate well. Albert Einstein had a great, great saying. He said, if you can't explain it simply, then you just don't understand it well enough. Meaning I should be able to walk in and do an implant consult in, in 15 minutes, not 30, in 15, basic, 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 basic. And why do I use 15 minutes as a guide to go in and talk to somebody about an implant? Because I remember when I was younger, um, Kennedy did his speech. I rewatched it on YouTube. You know, ask not what you can do for your country, you know, what you can do for your country, that whole thing. Um Kennedy, that whole speech was 15 minutes. I remember thinking, this guy just moved a nation in 15 minutes. I can't explain what an implant is in 15 minutes. So it really made me start rethinking how I'm explaining things to people. I connect with them. 
go over this, make it an emotional decision, not a technical one. And that feeling allows them to say yes more than anything technically. Nobody wants to hear. So Mrs. Jones, what we're going to do is extract your tooth and um, the surgeon will take a titanium screw and they'll shove it up inside the socket. And then your bone's going to grow around it. And some of your bone won't be there. So we'll use some artificial bone, which sounds great, by the way. And uh, we're going to pack that in there. And then four months later, I'll attach a crown to it. There's nothing sexy about that. Nothing sexy about that. So we need to make a point to connect emotionally. That's the art of storytelling. Let me ask you – let me interject something. I want to ask if you think it's a good idea to record yourself in like – did you have you ever audited yourself and recorded yourself in your career? Like, hey, did I come, oh. across, did I come across weird in that consultation? Yeah, no, no. I've recorded myself. Okay, so as we all know, we have the iPhone, right? right. I've used voice recorder. Uh-huh. <laughs> More times than I'm afraid, and it's crazy. Hit voice recorder, slip it in your pocket, and just go about your time. And then afterwards, listen to it. You would be shocked. It is insane. One time, I was guilty of this. I didn't realize it. I had a ballpoint pen in my hand, and I don't know if you can hear this, but during the whole console, I'm going, I'm going, click, 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 and it's just a nervous twitch as I was talking, click, 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 and then I'm listening to it. And I'm like, oh my god, it must have been driving the person crazy, you know? So for me. You're, I think you should. You should record yourself or take that opportunity because you will not believe the things you do or say or how you act or how you even answer the questions. You think it's thorough, but then you realize, I don't think they understood what I was saying. You know, Chris, so, it's a parallel too. Like, you know, when I was going through the accreditation process or starting the accreditation process with AACD, like just just the auditing of all my clinical work. You know, kind of made me a better dentist because I was I was no question right, and so because it was in my face back then, I was looking at slides and stuff. But looking at slides up there and analyzing my dentistry, so I was auditing my dentistry. So I think that that should transcend into auditing the way that you're communicating and presenting treatment. Yeah, yeah, it really should. You know, it's um, you know, you should let if if you could prearrange it with patients, it would be great just to see if you could even record the interaction with the patient and let the patient know what's happening. But let the team member not know what's happening and watch how your team members interact. It may not be as good as we think it is or the level at which we want it. You know, I ask this question all the time for people. I'll ask an audience, you know, somebody be in the audience. I'll say, hey, uh, what's your name? They'll say, he'll say, John. I'll say, John, you're the dentist. Yes. And uh, who answers the phone for you? And he'll say, oh, this girl, Mary. I go, hey, Mary, how are you? I said, now don't answer. It's a rhetorical question. I, and I look at the group and I say, how long, you know, I would like to ask John, but I'm not going to ask him. How long did he train Mary before he allowed her to pick up the phone and represent his his two, three, four, five, ten million dollar practice? How long? Because at the Ritz, it's two weeks, two weeks of training. So when that Ritz employee picks up the phone and you go, "Hey, Susie Q, um, what time does the, uh, the the sundry store close? It closes at this time. What time does the restaurant open? What time does the kid pool open? What's the menu at this restaurant? They know everything. There's no, I don't know. It's not really me." I, I tell you, I freak out if I go to a restaurant, a hotel, or anywhere because I worked in the hospitality industry for 12 years. So 12 years plus Disney, now I'm in dentistry. So I'm a customer service fanatic. Do not take care of me in a restaurant and come up and say, oh, gosh, I, I really don't know. It's, it's, I've only been here a couple of days. Then why are you waiting on me? Go away. right? You shouldn't be there. If you're only a couple of days in, you're representing this. If that's the case, here's an idea. Charge me less for my food. Because that's what they're paying for. Craig, can I ask you, honestly, don't answer this question. Right now, you charge X amount for a crown. You, I know, know this. But 
if someone comes to Spodak, comes to South Florida, goes to Spodak Dental, you know of all people, they're not paying. That fee is not for the crown. It's for everything. It's for the facility. It's the experience, the employees, how how you're managed, how they how you take care of them if the temp comes off. All of those things is what creates that fee. Is that a fair statement? 100%. Yeah. So I know you know that, so I'm using it as an example. It's just it's so many people don't get that. If I go to a restaurant and I go to New York and I pay $65 for a steak, I go, hey, what comes with this? And they go, the plate. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, all right. And they go, how about a baked potato? They go, yeah, that'll be $11. I'm like, okay. All I'm thinking of, I'm in New York. As long as it's a great service and a great steak, I'll probably come back. But if you're going to charge me 60 bucks and the service is going to be lame, tell you what, charge me less. Because that's what ultimately people, they'll pay your fee, but it's not a commodity. We've got to get past what we're doing it to be a commodity. It's not. And that's the thing too, because there's so much commoditization in the dental space. There's so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm involved in these Facebook groups and dentists are unhappy because they feel like patients are commoditizing them, but it's actually the dentist that's commoditizing the patient. So mm-hmm. they chose to accept an insurance fee, which might be $700 for a crown. They're upset about that. They're inundated with insurance patients. They feel like the, the patient has no value for them. So in turn, they have no value for the patient. And it's a vicious cycle. So right. you, actually, you actually intentionally, you always get what you intend. You intended to create the value for the patient. Before you ever had your first patient, you envisioned the value proposition. Most right. of them don't. They just set up their shop and like, hey, geez, I'm pretty slow. Let me sign up on you know, MetLife and everything out in the sun and take a $500 right. crown. And they get right. really busy with that. And I noticed that too in our own practice because we have certain providers that are on insurance and they get busy really quick and they change, they change. Every, the, the insurance patient will change you because you're, you're guaranteed to be busy. You won't be guaranteed to be profitable, but you'll be guaranteed to be busy. And all of a sudden you get, you get stuck and you never think again. So it's right. very interesting, this conversation. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I wish we could talk more. That could be a whole other podcast about just the world of commodities. You know, it's just, it's just not. And you're, you're, you're 100% right. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. Tune in next week for part two with Dr. Chris Ramsey as he continues this powerful message for dentistry. Also, if you haven't taken a minute, please take the time and give the Bulletproof Dental Practice a review on your iTunes or whatever form you listen on. It's one of the fastest ways to help us deploy this information to our colleagues and let everyone know about it. Thanks so much, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Online at BulletproofDentalPractice.com. We'll catch you next time.